right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 323, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. And with that number, we're going to give a shout out to the club formerly known as Sky Blue FC. They averaged home attendance of 2,323 fans per game from 2013 through 2019. And yeah, I know it doesn't sound like the highest number, but we know that their average attendance moving forward will be much higher once all COVID restrictions are lifted and now that they're playing their home games at Red Bull Arena. And of course, their new name is Gotham FC. So just one chat today, wanted to get a quick episode out before the cup final. There will be a much bigger episode next week. Had a nice chat with Jeff Kasuf, uh, the managing editor and founder of EqualizerSoccer.com. I'm sure many of you check out that site often. If you're not already subscribed to the Equalizer Plus content, I would highly recommend it. I'm a subscriber myself. And you may not know who Jeff is, but you need to know that he has been covering the women's game. He launched that site back in 2009 and has been covering the women's game nonstop for 12 years. So Jeff and I talked about um, this year's cup compared to last year's cup, thoughts on the final this weekend. And we also talked about the recent announcement uh, about the U.S. Women's National Team playing a summer series in Texas against three opponents. And there is a Gensplainer segment this episode uh, at a listener's request. The Gensplainer topic is substitution windows. And of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at MixZone with two X's or at KeeperNotes. And of course, you can find lots of great Woso stat content anytime at KeeperNotes.com. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Jeff Kasuf, founder, editor, manager of EqualizerSoccer.com. I'm sure all my listeners are well aware of EqualizerSoccer.com, but if you're not, please check it out. Jeff, some some big news coming out of U.S. soccer today about some summer games. But first, I want to talk to you about we have now the the second cup final coming up in less than a year. And... I don't know. Thought, thoughts on 2021 Cup versus 2020? Hmm. Loaded question, but I would <laughs> say I think last year we were, I don't want to use the word desperate, but we were very keen to have any sort of soccer. I think, you know, personally yes. was was surprised that we had any, you know, at least from that sort of March, April timeframe where I thought, well, we're just going to be riding this out till 21. Um, so I think that that happiness to just have any sort of soccer and the fact that we got, I, I think, some pretty good games excused any sort of poor soccer that was on the field because um, the circumstances around it, as we all knew, were, were extreme. Um, and Which those, is why we would could forgive the, the three straight quarterfinals that went to PKs, yes? Yes, yeah. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, 
obviously many of those circumstances remain to some degree, um, but but are I would say different at this point. Obviously, not in a bubble, and um, maybe some you know vaccines. Obviously, all those things that you know we don't need to necessarily get into. But I would say um, maybe that's a reason that I I feel less forgiving about the actual quality of soccer that was on the field in this Challenge Cup. Um, 21 challenge cup. And I think, you know, a, a lot of teams treated this as preseason. So I, I think that's one factor excuse, whichever term you want to use. Um, I do, I am curious to see how much improves, you know, on an individual level for individuals and teams, but maybe across the league in certain areas, defending being one of them, um, how much that improves as we enter into the season, because, you know, even a couple games into the regular season, then the excuse of it being early season is kind of mitigated by the fact that there were four games in a month before that. So um, I, I think we've had a lot of exciting games. We've had some duds. That's how it plays out across the entirety of a season anyway in any league. Um, but I have been, I think it's just been all over the map. I think there has been a really low quality of defending and I am curious to see who prevails because I think we've got two teams in the final here that we'll talk about that have been good. I think Portland's been the one team that's been consistent across the entire cup. And then you have Gotham. I think you have Houston who who had a strong showing and um, you know, maybe the couple results they didn't get there being attributed to missing some internationals. Right. Um, and, th- and then I think you have a lot of the rest and it's there's a range there from like maybe on the cusp or figuring things out to this team could be really bad. Um, you know, I, I think there's a range there, but there's a lot of questions for I would say close to two thirds of the league. And I thought it was interesting having the cup before the season and starting off during the FIFA window that in a way it gave us a sneak preview of some teams without their internationals, you know, like, like you mentioned Houston, which, you know, had their starting six come back for the last two games, but didn't have them the first two games. And at least they earned scoreless draws without those six, but obviously, you know, didn't get a win. Um, I would agree. Portland was the most consistent with or without Mm -hmm. their, their internationals. And it was a little frustrating to me, especially calling some of these games, you know, when you can see that, yeah, this team is treating this uh, as preseason. Um, in, in some cases, I understand that when you're coming from a Kansas City perspective where it, it really is a new club, right? E- even though they inherited most of the Utah roster, you know, Hugh Williams is is figuring things out uh, with what he wants to go with moving forward. Um, Louisville didn't seem to approach it as a preseason tournament tournament there. Like we've got something to prove. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was, it it was all over the map. I was just so happy to have, you know, action again. Right. And in a way where, Hey, these results matter, you know, a lot of teams in the West after your second game, you were eliminated for contention from the final. Um, You know, I, I loved that it came down to that final weekend. Uh, for the East, and we had potentially some really interesting scenarios of tiebreakers. Sadly, we did end up with those two scoreless draws that kind of said, all right, you know, Gotham's in the final. Um, so let's talk about Gotham FC because we already saw in 2020 as, as Sky Blue, they were making huge changes. The trades, the quality of the trades and the number of trades that they made last year 
Um, we only got a hint, uh, you know, just a little sneak preview of what that was going to do on the field. Um, but here I feel like we got the full show and you had Carly Lloyd back with the team for the first time since 2019. You had Didi Harchich stepping up and playing in a way that we've never seen her play um, in, in NWSL before. And, you know, Paige Monahan, Effie Anamono continuing their great partnership. Like there's just so many great pieces there. Right. So um, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that they're in the final, but I would say it really all came down to that incredible four, three win mm-hmm. over North Carolina. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we have seen some of those pieces come together. Um, that four, three game being one of them where I, I think you say, well, you know, defensively you wonder, um, if that's maybe the one piece that, that needs addressing, but, you know, I think Midge purse has been spectacular up top and, and obviously, um, you know, I, I don't get as deep into the debate there. I, I understand why she would be playing at fullback on the U S national team based on the need for fullbacks. Um, but but I think it's very clear that she should be playing forward for Gotham, um, yeah. and, and she's been very good for them. Um, so I, I think it's been you know Paige Monahan's a player who's probably underrated or has been at least, and then the midfield you know McCall Zerboni with with very limited action, and then bringing in Ali Long mid tournament on a trade, you know they have a surplus in midfield now. So yeah, I think the front six is has quietly become. Um, very formidable, but you know, also it is, um, I didn't, I don't have the numbers in front of you, but I know it's one of the older rosters. You'd probably know this exactly. Yes. yes. Um, so, you know, one of the oldest rosters. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, something to consider for the long-term build, but certainly, um, you know, I, I think being in a cup final is a little bit proof of concept because we see teams talk and, and this is similar to Houston last year. Like, you know, uh, maybe you were telling me, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you need to watch out. And I think there was a certain point at which there was only a certain degree to which, I, I guess, from the outside, you could take the talk super seriously to the degree. Yeah, of, you, you don't believe you know, it till you, till you see right. it, right? You know, and yeah. especially, you know, Houston and, and Gotham, similar in that respect, both having long, long stretches of mm-hmm. lack of success. So, you know, you get a little tired of, of, of the talk, but um, I would say in Gotham's case, like very aggressive um, trades where I, I, I wouldn't say Houston's were quite as aggressive, but it's like, I feel like at least we had an inkling that we were going to see, you know, a much, much different Gotham, even going into this year. And now, you know, trading for Ali long, right. Um, and not losing as much as they thought they would lose, uh, I think, in in the expansion draft. I mean, it was strange that Jennifer Cujo was unprotected and then they traded to get her back. But I, I would probably say that Houston and, and Gotham are probably the least changed rosters from last cup to this one. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they've got to be up there, right? I think, you know, Portland's yeah, been able maybe to find some consistency. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, there are teams that are still sort of playing around, certainly more so than, than Gotham is. 
And then Gotham Sky, I mean, Gotham Portland is not a rivalry that, you know, jumps into most fans' head where, where you say, okay, you know, name one of the most compelling rivalries in, <laughs> name in, that in, in, for in NWSL. What's your yeah. answer? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, let's see, what would that be for me? Because, like, I don't want it to be Portland Rain or Portland, uh, North Carolina. I really think, I mean, having, having written the notes for the North Carolina, Orlando, national broadcast that there's a lot of like crazy games and like North Carolina's first red. And I don't know if you remember that very first time that Orlando played at North Carolina in 2017 and how like Ashlyn called out uh, Marta after that game in her post game comments, like, I don't see a great player yet. And it's just, just like there's, <laughs> you know, and then the, the, um, the last game of the 2017 season where Orlando had a free kick from distance at North Carolina to grab the win, meaning that they would face Portland instead of North Carolina in the playoffs. Like, yeah, it's just not a very long rivalry where like here, at least Portland got them. You can go all the way back to 2013 and, you know, it's been all over the map. Um, and there have been some good games for Gotham. You just, you know, it's like, I just don't think they're in the DNA of most of the current players, you know, except maybe that, that, that goal in 2017 of Rocky Rodriguez scoring in 24 seconds against Portland at Portland, uh, fastest goal in league history, which you got to love that. You just got me down a rabbit hole now of, of what <laughs> is a, a rivalry in this league because I do think I do think Rain Thorns has fizzled. Um and I think yeah. that is associated with the rain. I, I think that's performance, but also the structural changes that the rain franchise has undergone. And I'm not saying it's not a rivalry, but it'll I, come ba- it'll come back, it'll it'll hit a peak again, but right now it's in that trough of it's not quite yeah it's it's yeah. i would say it's been overhyped of late um, yeah but i do think portland north carolina remains pretty legitimate yeah cool because i mean just even uh you know when it's a blowout on either side like you can see the bitterness mm-hmm. right like that uh that game at portland where they lost 6-0 just uh yeah yeah, I just yeah. I hate contrived rivalries. So these expansion teams come in, you know, let's let's earn a rivalry, okay? It's that's nobody specific. I just don't want to see like right away that a team that's never played a game is going to have a rival with somebody because yeah. That's not really how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Though I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing a few not contrived rivalries but like marketed rivalries in the way i was thinking you know we could have an nwsl barbecue cup where it's a you know three-team competition between kansas city north carolina and houston and whoever wins you know buys barbecue for the other two teams right like the the way that mls got into naming the different regional Mm -hmm. rivalries that you know like colorado and utah had a name so aggregate over a a season yeah, yeah, okay. you know, so, some some fun stuff, so that we don't just have the Pacific Northwest rivalry, you know. But there's as we get more teams, you can start to have more regional things, right? Mm-hmm. Like Washington Sky Blue, it's not the most dramatic of rivalries, but they have uh, only Portland and Rain have faced off more than Washington and Sky Blue did. Of course, now it's Washington Gotham, but um, mm-hmm. you know that that it's like those clubs being so close in proximity 
right? That they were always paired geographically. And then, of course, when you start looking at trades between teams, that's what I think is always fascinating, too. You know, right? I, like I think about Ali Long traded her whole career at Portland, then traded to the Rain. How weird is that to come back, play at Providence Park, right? And now traded to Gotham, and her second game with Gotham will be at Providence Park. Yeah. You know, like those are yeah i guess those aren't rivalries so much as just like i think the you know the small community nature of of women's soccer and within nwsl makes those kind of nuances i think really interesting but what are you expecting from this game saturday are you thinking lockdown defenses or lots of offense or lots (laughs) of offense on just one side uh, I I don't know about which if it's going to be reciprocated, but uh, lockdown <laughs> defense. I don't know if that's. Um, I mean, we have seen some snoozers in this cup, not not necessarily from these teams, but yeah. I mean, I think you have plenty of offensive talent, obviously, on Portland, and um, I think maybe to a slightly lesser degree uh, on Gotham. And I don't even want to use the term lesser degree, but uh, I think it's just more pronounced with the Thorns. So, you know, th- those two things combined with the way that defending is generally gone in this tournament, but not necessarily these teams granted. Um, I think I, maybe I hope that we're in for a couple of goals. I don't know that we need to see a seven goal game, but no. <laughs> I'm sure it'd be good for t- I'm sure it'd be great for TV ratings and CBS would be happy. Um, but you but, could get the same out of a two, one game, right? Like as long as you get some goals and you know, couple of amazing saves and keep of keep all of us on the edge of our seats right yeah um, i mean but, I but think not my, starved the way a one zero yeah, game is i think my hope for it would be something in that ballpark that you know i do think that that portland houston game was it felt like a good game that was not a preseason game that was a you know mid-season late season game yeah between between two good teams. And I think that would be my hope for the final that it, it feels a little bit more like that as we head into a regular season rather than um, the chaotic ending of a, a squeezed together cup. Right. Right. And the players have been able to stay at home. There's been decent amount of space between games. They're not playing on turf. They're not playing in altitude um, that, I would think mentally all these players are in a, a much different space. Um, you know, I know it was pretty hard for the dash players, even having the celebration when they came back of just like, I'm home. Oh my God, I'm home. Right. Just yeah. like after five weeks away and being so, uh, you know, bubbled like that, you know, that, uh, I think that would have been really tough, uh, for them to go through a, a, a second time. And then just a week after our cup final, we get, the regular season, which we finally have a schedule for that came out, what, early last week? It's all kind of a, a blur now. Um, excited to finally have that, though. Of course, we're waiting on, well, which games are going to be on CBS. I mean, I, I can't wait to see that because, you know, I, I we had this great CBS deal. And then, of course, COVID happened last year and then ended up getting, you know, the whole challenge cup tournament either on big cbs or cbs sports and you know continuing into the fall series just feel like it's like okay finally cbs is getting its first nwsl regular season show Mm -hmm. us what you can do yeah i mean i'm curious what that looks like as well um i think you know it's it's could be a very good 
um, a very good deal for the league. But, um, you know, it, it's we didn't quite get to see it executed last year, obviously. So, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see which games get, get highlighted. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be some complaints about some type of imbalance of better venues being more prominently featured but though that's, such that's less that's less and less of an issue each season right like when we had lifetime come in in 2017 uh they managed to pull off one game at your sack field um but it was it was pretty tough and it was pretty costly um because of everything that has to come in that you know that's not already there infrastructure wise um you know when we see the venues that teams are upgrading to it just uh it makes me feel really good right like no it's like all right spirit likely to be at Audi field gotham playing at red bull arena way to go you know like that we're not yeah. we're not we're not nwsl 2014 where you've got chicago out in the middle of nowhere what is it lyle is that how that was pronounced the St. Benedictine. Uh, Benedictine, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's been progress on that. And then at the same time, um, I mean, we can call this just wanting higher standards or greedy. I don't know what, but, you know, <laughs> they're wanting higher standards. You know, I, I mean, we're well aware that um, I don't think it's a secret at this point that there was, uh, let's say that the championship venue announcement and communication was fumbled at best. And part of that was a concern that the team with the right to host it would not have a venue to host it at or a suitable venue. So, uh, you know, that combined with, um, you know, two out of 10 teams are on baseball fields. I, I know that, you know, there's a lot of talk about from the players that are on it that, the field is good or those fields are good and they've played well. And, you know, I I guess so. Um, You know, I I can say that at least one of them did not look good on TV, but that doesn't mean that, you know, there there are, you know, there are circumstances to all these things, obviously, but I I don't think that we're like, you know, because it looks bad doesn't mean it plays bad. Right. I, I would just say, you know, I don't think we're out of the woods on that. And also it is only, you know, season slash year nine, um, you know, so I think you can look at a comparable, you look at MLS and they're still going through some different things with, you know, venues and teams. Yeah. And so yeah, what you know, season, it's, it's season 11, 12 for MLS, I think Kansas city, uh, back when they were Kansas city wizards was playing at what is now legends field, that baseball mm-hmm. field as they were waiting for children's mercy park to be built. Yeah, it's just, it's, we, you know, I think we're also used to watching really high level professional sports broadcast wise, you know, we've all been raised on it. So, so when you see a league in, in, in its infancy, which NWSL still is, you know, it's, it's kind of jarring. You're like, wait, why isn't it the same? It's like, well, you know, NFL didn't start out the way you right. see it now. NBA right. didn't start out the way you see it now, not even um, MLS, but I think we've seen some, some huge leaps and, you know, and, yeah. and I can share that um, just with CBS, you know, for the first time this weekend, there will be talent on site, right? That uh, they weren't able to do that last year. Obviously everything mm-hmm. was called um, even the big CBS games. They had to call off monitor just because, uh, you know, of, of COVID restrictions, but you know, for Saturday's game, it'll be JP Della Camera and Allie Long at 
Providence Park. Allie Long. Calling that game. Sorry, what am I saying? Allie <laughs> Wagner. That would Allie be amazing. Wagner, I would like Long. to see. That would be awesome. Allie Long calling the game while playing in it. That would be great. You just, you know, she, she can up. be on the bench. Yeah, mic'd up. And then if she goes on, she can just keep talking with JP. I mean, I think if any player can do it, she's probably fit enough to play a game and call a game at the same time i can see that <laughs> but anyway I'm, I'm so glad that the broadcast talent will be on site and from from what i've seen you know cbs is going all in for this game especially when you think about it not only is it the cup final like we had on cbs last summer that broke a lot of records it's also the cup final that kicks off an entire season of coverage um so really looking forward to that well, so let's also talk uh, the announcement from U.S. Soccer today that we have a summer series coming up in June. It, it's funny, this whole time I was just thinking, okay, at some point they're going to announce two friendlies for that June window, and that'll be the you know the last two games before Vlad Kononovsky picks the Olympic roster. And, and then I saw your tweet this morning, and then the press release of, oh, they're actually doing... You know they're going to get three games in that series, and bringing in three national teams to to Texas to play two doubleheaders in Houston, and then just one match in Austin. It looks like the U.S. women will play the first ever soccer match at the new new stadium in Austin. Um, so, what do you know about how that format came about? It's very different from what we've seen for any window where they're not actually doing a tournament, right? They're not, it's not called a tournament. They're just, just a group of games altogether. So that's why they're calling it summer series. Yeah. I guess that it's not called a tournament because they couldn't execute it in such a way that they're everybody played. Everybody would play the same number because of, you know, European teams being restricted to two. And then that obviously leaves Jamaica would be the third team there without an opponent. So I think it, you're probably looking at that. I would say logically it came down to Portugal can play too. So do we play um, Nigeria or Jamaica and, uh, or, or, you know, who's the better opponent, I guess, for, for the U S to play the extra game. Um, so that would be my guess on, on how that was the case. Um, I, I know that, you know, I think it's fair to say that the, Competition level of that that quartet is not the highest, or maybe not as high as you might necessarily want for you know going into a major tournament. But I, I think you know I, I've spoken to K. Mark Graf, written about you know. Um, That's why they played Sweden, <laughs> right? Well, just, in, just, in April and had she yeah. believes against the yeah. yeah, and just the difficulty of scheduling during these times. There's a lot of factors. I think you know I, I'm aware of. Um, there was, um, as from what I was told and what we were told, that Equalizer was. Um, it looked like Germany was a team that was going to be in um, at one point anyway, um, and and that was changed because of the world we live in. Um, you know, the even with she believes that was Canada had stepped in after I believe you probably saw that it was already reported that it was going to be Norway. That was right a factor of you know, a, a state of the world that, that changed that. So it's just, you know, in terms of quality of opponent, you could probably criticize it, but you know, it's just about being nimble in that sense um, and having any games at all. So, you know, I, I think Nigeria should be a good test. Um, you know, I think Portugal has played the U S 
tough enough, I think, considering that they're not really a traditional power team. Um, you know, there, there was the game in Portugal a couple of years back that um, the U.S. kind of squeaked by in, to be honest, and it was a friendly, obviously. But so, you know, I think that's, you know, it is what it is in terms of opponents. You're really at the stage two in June where, you know, as much as that roster will be announced after those three games, you really have a pretty good idea of what it is if you're Vlako and Anofsky, um, and you know, I, I think at that point you're looking for how do we execute the way that we want to do things and need to do things regardless of who the opponent is. And, and that's where you're kind of at in June. So um, opponent wise, you know, that's fine. And I, I think, you know, format wise, it'll be cool to see. Um, I guess it's cool to see, you know, the U.S. women open a stadium even before the MLS team it was built for in Austin. And I, I think it's worth pointing out, too, that uh, having the three games is great preparation, much like she believes for the Olympic format where you're playing games every three days, um, often with travel in between. So, again, you're getting kind of prepping for, you know, the mentality of we've got to turn around and we have another game day pretty quickly. Um and I also want to point out Portugal probably had its best Euro qualifying performance ever in the last cycle. They finished second mm-hmm. behind Finland and actually ahead of Scotland. So they had one of the playoff spots. They they didn't advance past the playoffs, but I I'd hazard a guess that that's the closest that Portugal has ever come to qualifying um, for, for the women's Euro. So at least we know it's you know it's a team on the rise. I'm really intrigued to see Nigeria because. Uh, coached by <laughs> former Houston Dash coach Randy Waldrum, who most of us remember, you know, took Trinidad and Tobago within one game of qualifying for the the 2015 World Cup. Um, so I I think that's that's going to be fascinating. Of course, the 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 story from the 2019 World Cup, Jamaica, you know, being the first Caribbean nation to to qualify for. For the World Cup, so I, you know, I hope that they've, you know, we had they haven't been able to play. There's a lot of the, the the smaller nations and and nations that aren't funded as well that really have been dark since March 2020, right? Not everybody's been able to come back and play. So I, I you know, I hope Jamaica gets some good prep in advance mm. of that. And I, I'm also intrigued when I first when I first saw the race, like I wasn't thinking Texas at all. Right. I was like, oh, that's so cool. And then I look again. I was like, oh, wait, wait, it's in Houston and Austin in June. Well, that'll be fun. (laughs) So but but it made me think it's like, hey, here's another preparation tool because Tokyo will not be cool. It will be very hot and potentially gross in late July, early August. So, you know, you you are trying to simulate those Olympic conditions. Um. So I'm I'm excited for that tournament. Like I said, having having the three games, I think makes it uh, a little more interesting for us as as viewers. Um, but also, I, I think a little bit better for Vlatko's prep. Um, like you said, it, th- this will be more about kind of tweaking the final parts of the roster. Not this isn't you know oh let me try a new lineup situation. This is a hey we're about to you know head off to to the Olympics. Um, I think from, from from some dates I saw last year, it looks like the national teamers depart, what, 
late June or do they even do we even know if they rejoin their NWSL clubs once a roster is known? Do they even rejoin their NWSL clubs after this summer series? Uh, I do not know as of this recording, but I should ask. Um, I don't know. I think <laughs> I think history would say one answer. Yeah, I, I would assume they don't go back to their their teams, but you know we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, I I like in a way that the league made the decision with the schedule to not put a block of time off um, for the Olympics. Uh, knowing that they would just have to backload the schedule later, which creates problem of a different sort. Um, so, again, with the with the longer season and also having having had Challenge Cup, you know, we're actually having clubs with their national teamers many more games than than we saw in 2015 or 2016. Um, and we also have the weird. Uh, time zone issue because of the games being in Tokyo and the time difference. Every game but the final will basically be in the middle of the night. Um, the final, or rather the gold medal match, because they play it pretty early in the morning <laughs> in Tokyo, ends up being like a 9, 10 p.m. match uh, for Central Time and Eastern Time. Um, so like, there's no way really for matches to conflict like I, I don't know if you remember how, that we actually had several matches you know head to head at the beginning of the 2015 world cup where i'm like there should not be a game played at the same time as a world cup game mm, yeah. um you know we, we don't we don't have that this, i did I check know, the schedule for uh the I, there's actually no instance of there, there are some very close calls maybe a couple days apart but there are no 10 or 10.30 p.m. Eastern kickoffs for NWSL, followed by the 3 a.m., 4 a.m. <laughs> Tokyo. But there, there are a couple that are two days apart, so I, I guess, you know, adjusting the sleep schedule between those days. Yeah. Maybe, maybe just one yeah. of those needs to be skipped. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to, yeah, it's going to be pretty, pretty tough. Um, I'm, I'm excited that the, the Olympics are still happening. You know, I, I, had, was was assuming that we would still get the yeah we're just going to scratch the whole thing but it sounds like they're doing everything they can possibly do to to keep <laughs> it safe in terms of it, well I was reading the New York Times article this week about players were tested every day everyone else is every other day you know how they have to eat separately and as soon as your event's over like for for other sports you have to leave you don't get to hang around and um you, you know obviously people know no fans um i just think it's it's pretty tough for soccer because and and people forget this every time because of the length of time it takes to run the soccer tournament even on a compressed schedule it means that soccer kicks off two days before the opening ceremonies and basically finishes the day of or the day before the closing ceremonies so like soccer you're actually there an extended period and because you have a men and women's tournament going on at the same time needing so many venues they can't play them all in tokyo right they're actually traveling uh in a way that other sports are really all centralized around whoever the host city is mm -hmm. so you know always always a little bit different for soccer um well jeff thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts about the the cup final and and, and the summer series and last question for you do you want to predict a cup winner and if not do you want to predict 
based on what you saw in the cup, a regular season champion for 2021. (laughs) I'll I'll pass on the regular season for now. Um, I think Portland wins this. I mean, you know, Gotham's a good story is a good team. I just think, you know, in, in terms of consistency so far, Portland's been the one team that's had that. And, you know, if that's what we're going off of on the limited amount of information and evidence we have so far, I think that's something that prevails. Time for a little gensplaining. This week's topic, substitution windows. It's a new phrase that we hadn't really heard in soccer much before the COVID shutdown last year. So because of the shutdown, once leagues were trying to get going again, uh, one thing FIFA had proposed to the International Football Association Board, which is the group that manages the rules of the game, they proposed additional subs uh, for the players' safety. And also, I I think the intent was, you know, these players haven't been able to train as much, um, maybe just giving more flexibility in the game. So they proposed a temporary amendment to Law 3 of the Laws of the Game, and Law 3 is all about subs. And so this amendment, which was approved by the IFAB, allows for a maximum of three, sorry, maximum of five substitutes per per team instead of the usual three that we're used to for international and professional play. However, to avoid disruption to the flow of the game, those substitutes can only be brought into the game at three opportunities sometime during, you know, when play is actually happening, plus halftime. So there's four opportunities for subs to come in, um, and you can use up to five subs. So when you hear the announcer for a game you're watching mention substitution windows, they're referring to the limited opportunities teams have to make their five subs. So say you're watching the Challenge Cup final this weekend, Portland makes one sub during the first half, and then one sub at at some point during the second half. They would then only have one more substitution window remaining. They would still have three potential bodies they could bring on, right? But they would only have one window left. So uh, in their final substitution window, which can be any time they want in that second half, they would have to use all three or they'd end up not using all of their subs. And of course, all of these sub rules are separate from the new concussion allowance subs. This is strictly about um, moving subs from three to five in the substitution windows. So bottom line, teams can sub at halftime and up to three times during first or second half action. The maximum number of players that they can sub in is five per team. Again, not including those concussion-related subs. And you've got halftime and three other moments during the game where you can choose to bring in those subs. So if a team is going to use all five subs in one game, one of those substitution windows is going to feature at least two subs coming on at the same time. Hope that makes sense. If it does not, I highly recommend Googling FIFA substitution windows 2020, and it should bring up the FIFA article about it, or perhaps even the IFAB document about it. 
this temporary amen- amendment is in effect through the end of 2021. No word yet on if they'll extend it or make it permanent. Um, I think there's, you know, a lot to be determined on that. Um, and I really appreciate, you know, listeners sending me an email, reaching out and ask, requesting a topic for Jen Splainer. Happy to answer any questions I can. So if you have a question or a suggestion for the Jen Splainer, just send me an email, keeper at keepernotes.com. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First and foremost, like Jeff and I talked about in the long segment, we've got the Challenge Cup final this weekend on big CBS. And when I say CBS, that means broadcast television. No cable subscription necessary. Uh, So that's CBS, obviously, for USA. Everywhere else, it will be on Twitch. And based on my Paramount Plus app, it looks like it will be streaming on the Paramount Plus app, too. Um... If it's not, at the very least, it will be available there for replay after the game. Uh, And then next week, next weekend, the 2021 regular season kicks off. Uh, And I want to make sure everybody knows uh, the hashtags uh, that are being used for the games and and for the cup. Um, Most people know, but I have noticed that the league switched to a different hashtag for Challenge Cup. I recommend still using hashtag NWSL Challenge Cup because that's where all the fun comments are. And pay attention to the tricodes, as we call them in the broadcast world. Uh, So like for the the cup final, the hashtag would be hashtag P-O-R, lowercase v, N-J-Y. So Gotham FC's tricode is NJY. Um, you know, similarly, if, if rain is playing Orlando and rain is the home team, it's RGN lowercase V ORL. Um, I know probably 80% of you are, are like, duh, we know what hashtags are, but just in case you don't, maybe that should be its whole separate gensplainer. All right. Um, also have a lot of college soccer going on right now. We are down to the Elite Eight for the NCAA tournament. You have all four quarterfinals will be played on Sunday, all streaming live on NCAA.com. Two of them are at noon, two of them are at four, and that's central time. And then we have, uh, let's see, the ninth. No, no, no. Sorry. Ninth, tenth, the 13th. That's it. Thursday is the semifinals, and those will be on ESPN2. And then the College Cup final will be Sunday, May 16th, and that will be on ESPNU. And of course, big news that we also talked about in this episode, the U.S. Women's National Team Summer Series. They are playing three games in Texas during the June FIFA window where there are no NWSL games to conflict with. They have two doubleheaders in Houston at the home of the Houston Dash, where they will play Portugal and Jamaica. And then they will head to Austin to play the first ever game in Austin's new stadium before Austin itself has played a game in its own stadium. They will play Nigeria. So that's going to be really great series, uh, good prep for for heading off to the Olympics in terms of dealing with heat and a, and a compressed schedule. And it does sound like tickets will be available, though probably still at reduced capacity. So if you need more information about the U.S. Women's National Team Summer Series, I would go to ussoccer.com. 
And last thing, let's talk about Challenge Cup merch since we're kind of wrapping up Challenge Cup. There is Challenge Cup merch, scarves, hoodies, T-shirts, other good stuff. Um, I might sound like a shill, but most of you have been listening to me for a while know how much I'm into soccer merch, so no one has to pay me to talk about this kind of stuff. And I just want to make fans aware that there's actually merch to buy for this tournament where, you know, just a few years ago we were struggling to find any easily available fan merch. And now there's a good website with lots of options and even international shipping. And Hey, there's even discounted stuff because since dash have a new logo and sky blue rebranded to Gotham and Utah, Utah has disbanded for the moment. There's a lot of stuff that's on sale. So I would definitely check out nwslshop.com and anywhere else you're shopping for, for women's soccer merch, whether it's a, a big box store or the local soccer store where you live. Um, if you don't see anything for the U.S. Women's National Team, if you're nowhere near an NWSL franchise, or if you are near a franchise and you don't see any NWSL stuff, ask for it. Don't blame them. Don't yell at them. <laughs> don't call them out on Twitter for not carrying it. Request it. Ask them. Say, hey, do you carry this? And if they say no, say, why not? Have you asked Nike if you can carry it? A lot of times when a store doesn't have the merch you're looking for, especially when it's an up and coming brand, it's that the buyers um, haven't been getting uh, any catalogs about it. Um, Running a soccer store in Houston for seven years, I struggled with Nike for several years to get them to understand the demand we had for, for Dash merch. So you want more Woso merch? Let the stores around you know, hey, I want stuff for the U.S. Women's National Team in your catalog. I want stuff for NWSL. Um, and, of course, you can always support the teams directly. All the teams have their own online stores. All right. I think that's that's enough time on my soapbox for today. <laughs> um, Want to give a shout out, of course, to everyone who listens, everyone who subscribes, shares it with a friend, sends me a nice email, sends me a no donation double props to all those people. Uh, big shout out, of course, to Roughneck Scars and IcarusFC.com for their sponsorship of this podcast and all their sponsorship of what's on the Beautiful Game Network. Shout out to my producer, Sean Ringrose, whose podcast you can check out at anchor.fm slash Orange, And that's Jen is in Generation Orange. And many thanks to the Beautiful Game Network for hosting this podcast and making this all possible. But now she's anybody's girl.